Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. The youngest billionaire in the world. Is that heady when you hear that? You know, it's, it's not what matters. Um, what matters is how well we do in trying to make people's lives better. That's, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I work the way that I work. And that's why I love what I'm doing so much. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and... And I'm Kevin. And we're coming back at you this week with episode number 76, The Rise and Fall of Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Yep, you've probably heard about her. So there's big stuff happening this week. There's that one story about, I believe she's like a famous TikToker. She's like a 22-year-old. Her name's Gabby Petito. I was wondering why... It was so blown yeah, up on well, Twitter. Yeah, well, one, she's a cute blonde hair, blue-eyed girl, but I, I also think that she was has some popularity. She has some popularity online, and she went on a road trip with her boyfriend, and he came back empty-handed. And there's all kinds, so just today or like yesterday, there was dash cam footage released from the police because I guess they did get an altercation and there's some you know I have I will admit I have not stayed up on it because I've been staying up on the Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos case as well as the Murdoch family murders that's fucking crazy of and Robert Durst was found guilty of Susan Berman's death like what two days ago or something so it's been there's a lot going on yeah I mean and and like there's always a lot going on but these are like things that we've been waiting for and I think it has a lot to do with that kind of post-ish COVID thing where I think a lot of these things were put on hold for various reasons but mostly COVID related and things are kind of coming to a head now so like the Robert Durst thing has been a thing for quite a while the Elizabeth Holmes thing has been a thing since 2019, 2018. But again, like we're seeing movement all of a sudden now because things are opening back up. They blame COVID for everything these days. I know. I but I'm just, I'm just saying that that's why we're seeing, I think, a lot of movement on certain cases all of a sudden because courts are, I mean, because protocols are in place and courts are back in session and stuff. Not everything is Zoom anymore which was such a fucking nightmare. I'm so, I'm both relieved and saddened to be back in person teaching. You have to put pants on now. I have to put, <laughs> so yeah. So I'm very extra lazy on the weekends as we're sitting here and I'm in my robe. So yeah. Our bedroom studio. Our bedroom studio, yeah. So like I was saying, this week we are covering the Theranos debacle just giving people a lot of background on it because it's actually happening right now. The trial like just started on August 31st. There's been some jury issues. There's been all kinds of stuff. But it's an interesting case, mostly because of Elizabeth Holmes just being kind of this enigma that we're going to try to unwrap a little bit in this podcast. I think this is going to be a two-parter. And this is going to be a two-parter. Thank you for saying that. You got it. I when I got to page nine and kind of realized that I was only about halfway through the story, I was like, you know what? I need to stop for now. And we're going to release the second part in a week. So we'll get that out to y'all. We'll time. see how that goes. We, we'll see we how that make goes. a lot of promises. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Just want to shout out to a couple of listeners, Christine and Jennifer. 
We really appreciate your guys' support. And thank you for giving us some case suggestions and just saying hello on our True Crime Dumpster Facebook group. I like that dank meme, too. Yeah. Thanks, Christine. Nice one. I feel like we cover a lot of people that are very, very similar in age to me. I think Ross Ulbricht was was within like a year or two of me. I mean, there's just a lot of people that were kind of I'm at that age where I think um, I can fuck up a lot of things, I guess. We're always but at that age. I was thinking I knew that Elizabeth Holmes and I were similar in age, but I didn't know how similar. So we're one day apart. That's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty dang close. Closest one yet. And I, you know what I, I don't actually know. Oh, she was born in Washington, D.C. Because what's interesting, I was born in Stanford University Medical. And she ends up going to Stanford. Wah, wah, wah. I know. We're weirdly connected. And spoiler alert, Elizabeth Ann Holmes welcomed her first kid into the world in July of this year. And I had a baby in March of this year, my first baby. Just saying, I feel like she's kind of copying me because I was born one day before her and I had my kid a couple months before her. So I I think she's copying me. So you're psychopath, liar, (laughs) sociopath too? (laughs) But I was born in Stanford first and she went there like 18 years later. So I'm just saying. I'm a little more original than her. Way I'm more. the non-psychopath version of Elizabeth Ann Holmes, except for I have no background in science and I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> Wouldn't the first thing a psychopath say is, She's not I'm a not a psychopath. I'm talking about you, honey. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say I have lots of feelings about Elizabeth Holmes that I'm still sorting out, but I don't think she's a psycho. I'm not even sure if she's a sociopath, but I also, I think she might be a slight sociopath. She... I don't think you could tell tall tales that big without having some I also mental think, fuckery. Well, I also think that she wanted to believe so bad that she convinced herself of things. Okay, so let's talk about this woman. Elizabeth Ann Holmes was born on February 3rd, 1984, one day after me, in Washington, D.C., to Christian Rasmus Holmes IV and Noel Ann. Her her dad was a vice president at Enron before, like, the whole blow-up. Ah, well, okay. I know, so it's kind that of in her blood. That explains a little bit. And then later he would hold positions with government agencies such as USAID, USAID. What, is, what do you think that stands for? We're going to take your money and rip you off. Uh, the EPA and the USTDA. Lots of acronyms. I only know the EPA off the top of my head. Obviously, the Environmental Protection Agency. And her mother worked as a congressional committee staffer. So she had pretty powerful parents. But I did read and hear in interviews, they weren't quite as rich as they wanted to be. And they were really jealous of their neighbors. And they were always trying to keep up with the Joneses. And especially after... The dad lost his job at Enron. The family became extremely poor and like lived in one of their neighbors like extra houses for a while and stuff. It was pretty crazy. They they had a pretty big fall from grace like pretty early on. So Elizabeth attended St. John's School in Houston. During high school, she was interested in computer programming and even started a little business with some Chinese connections like she was already doing shit like that like in high school yeah she learned like Mandarin super early well, too. so so she had 
she had this like tech idea. She was selling like C plus plus something rather. I it's computer talk that I don't understand. But she was basically selling computer parts to like Chinese companies, like like in high school, and then kind of saw that there was going to be a future, obviously, in like Chinese trading. There already was something there, obviously. So her parents kind of seen this, you know, budding. Chinese interest that she had they arranged for Mandarin Chinese home tutoring and partway through high school she started to attend the Stanford University summer Mandarin program it seems like she was a fairly average student she was gifted but she was fairly average and so she wasn't going to get into Stanford through regular means and they didn't have a ton of money I don't think at the time so what they did is they found out that basically if she attended Stanford summer programs, she could kind of get in through the back door a little bit. Gotcha. So, so, you know, again, like I'm getting a lot of my information from the the Holmes's like neighbors who didn't seem to really like them. So it was they were kind of saying it in a bit of a disparaging way of like, oh, well, Elizabeth clearly couldn't get into Stanford on her own. So they had to find some backdoor way of doing it because they didn't have like great connections or anything. But it's like, whatever. She went to a, an intensive Mandarin program at Stanford. That's impressive all on its own. Yep. Nonetheless, Elizabeth started college at Stanford in 2002, where she studied chemical engineering and worked as a student researcher and laboratory assistant in the School of Engineering. So, you know, whatever. Like, that's impressive. Getting into Stanford is not easy. After the end of her freshman year, Elizabeth worked in a laboratory at the Genome Institute of Singapore and tested for severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus, SARS-CoV-1. Wow. Yeah. And she actually patented like some kind of medical patch that could administer medicine for, I think, this disease like in someone's like arm or, you know, wherever. And... She did a lot of like blood sampling and syringe testing and stuff like that. So that's where she kind of got some of her background in like blood testing basically was at this institute in Singapore. Baby Fauci. I believe that Elizabeth did start off with good intentions. In 2003, she founded the company Real Time Cures in Palo Alto, California, which is where Stanford is located, to democratize healthcare. This was the first real building block to creating the medical mogul company Theranos. Theranos is a combination of the words therapy and diagnosis. And she eventually changed the company that started off as real-time cures to Theranos because I think she did some like field testing and people didn't like the word cures in there. So she did Theranos. Isn't Theranos like some comic book character now too? I don't know. She meant it to be a combination of therapy and diagnosis. Elizabeth used her fear of needles and an uncle who died of cancer as fuel for like the basis of starting her company. Speaking at a TED Med conference in 2014, Elizabeth said, I grew up spending summers and holidays with my uncle. I remember his love of crossword puzzles and trying to teach us to play football. I remember how much he loved the beach. I remember how much I loved him. He was diagnosed one day with skin cancer, which all of a sudden was brain cancer and in his bones. He didn't live to see his son grow up, and I never got to say goodbye. However, her uncle died 18 months before this TED Talk, way after she created Theranos, so it doesn't really check out. Also, family and friends have confirmed that she wasn't close with her uncle at all. 
Well, you know, a nice emotional story like that sure helps your cause. Exactly. And that's why people wanted to invest in her. She had this empathetic story. She was bright eyed and just had this goal of democratize healthcare real time results with just a drop of blood. Elizabeth first pitched the idea to reap vast amounts of data from a few droplets of blood derived from the tip of a finger to her medicine professor, Phyllis Gardner, at Stanford. Phyllis Gardner responded, "Uh, it's not going to work. And you can hear her in interviews where she's just like, I just kept telling her that she was basically full of shit. She's like, I was trying to save her heartache or yeah. hard work or the of finding that she was going to be wrong. And so f- she was like, absolutely, I'm not going to back you and I'm not going to help you. This is a ridiculous idea. She explained that it was impossible to do what Elizabeth wanted to do. Several other medical professors told Elizabeth the same thing. So she was just kind of going from professor to professor being like, here's my idea, here's my idea, here's my idea. And they're just like, yeah, that's not going to be a thing. Until she talked to her advisor and dean at the School of Engineering. His name is Channing Robertson. And he was interested in her idea and he decided to back her, which he will come to regret. In March of 2004, Elizabeth dropped out of Stanford's School of Engineering and used her tuition money as seed funding for a consumer healthcare technology company, Theranos. Using a nanotainer, which is a small device designed to draw, retain, and analyze a droplet of blood from a patient's fingertip, and its proprietary Edison testing technology, Theranos claimed that the device could run a multitude of tests on a patient's physiology within minutes and a fraction of the cost of current technology. So that was the vision for Elizabeth's that this machine could basically do everything based on a drop of blood and patients wouldn't have to go through these painful, long blood draws and going to the doctor numerous times to figure out, you know, what was wrong with them. And everyone that she talked to about this idea told said her BS it would not work until, until she, she finally found, found one the yeah. one that said yes who happened to be the dean of the of that branch of the school so like he was an influential guy uh, yeah but he's more administrative he might not be a scientist you know he's an advisor and a dean so I, I don't know what his background is in but he wanted to invest with her he ended up introducing her to like a ton of influential people. So have we talked about what she looks like? Because this might have influenced the dean as well. (laughs) Well, I mean, so she's a cute blonde haired chick. Yeah. And she's like 19 at the time. And at this point, she's not. This is before her balls drop. She doesn't have the low voice. She doesn't. She is not the person. If you Google Elizabeth, I was going to say smart. Don't don't. Well, you can Google her. She's also a blonde haired blue eyed girl, but she's a very different person. If you Google Elizabeth Holmes, the images that you see where it looks like she's in an Apple commercial, that is not the Elizabeth Holmes right now. The Elizabeth Holmes that we have at 19 is an awkward, long, blonde-haired yeah. girl who is starry-eyed and ready to change the world. And she probably just wears regular college kid clothes and talks at a regular volume. Theranos's board of investors included many influential figures. Elizabeth's first major investor was... Tim Draper, a Silicon Valley venture capitalist and father of Elizabeth's childhood friend, Jesse Draper, who cut her a check for $1 million upon hearing her initial pitch for what would eventually become Theranos. After his initial investment of a $1 million, which, you know, just handing a check over. Can you imagine? 
uh, to a 19-year-old girl with a vision, just being like, here's a million dollars, good luck. I mean, but at the same time, if she does revolutionize healthcare, like that million dollars could potentially be a billion dollars 10 years down the road. I mean, obviously this guy had money to burn. So he handed, you know, Elizabeth a check for a million dollars. And then over the time, a star lineup of investors poured more than $600 million into the company over the next few years. That's insane. You want to hear some of the investors? Yes. The family of former education secretary Betsy DuVos. <laughs> Uh, she <laughs> lost a hundred million. Her Ouch. family, yeah, hundred million dollars. Uh, and this is information I got from the Wall Street Journal. There's a really amazing article and book by John Carreyrou who kind of broke the story. And so I'm getting a lot of my information from that. Uh, other investors include a little family called the Walton family. Haven't heard of them. They own something called Walmart. Oh, that's right. And they invested about a hundred and fifty million dollars. These are like probably families don't really want to piss off or rip off. Exactly. And then another little guy, you ready? <laughs> okay. Rupert Murdoch. I've heard of him, right? He owns like all the media. Yeah. So okay. he invested $125 million into Elizabeth. How is this chick still alive? That's what I, I want to know. I know. And dude, not only that, but how is she like going to Burning Man and like hanging out and taking selfies on Instagram? Anyways, we'll talk later about that. Uh, also, the Kraft family, you know, of the mac famous and mac and cheese, uh -huh, yeah. the Cox family from like Cox Communications and Mexican businessman Carlos Slim were also investors. But the largest ones were the DeVos family, the Walton family and Rupert Murdoch. Wasn't there like um, someone high up in like military intelligence? Well, yeah, yeah. So that they're on. So well, I'm kind of going through the big kind of these okay. are the investors, but then they have she has a board of trustees. OK. okay. Uh, yeah. So her Stanford advisor, Channing Robertson, he became the company's first board member and introduced Elizabeth to other venture capitalists. One of Elizabeth's first board members was George Schultz. He was a former United States Secretary of State. With Schultz's early involvement, adding Elizabeth's recruitment efforts, the 12-member Theranos board eventually included Henry Kissinger. Yeah, that's who I was thinking. Uh, also another former Secretary of State. William Perry, a former Secretary of Defense. James Mattis, a future Secretary of Defense. Gary Ruffhead, a retired U.S. Navy Admiral. Billy Frist, a former U.S. Senator, a Republican from, from Tennessee. Sam Nunn, a former U.S. Senator, a Democrat from Georgia. And former CEOs Dick Kovacevich of Wells Fargo and Riley Bechtel of what, Bechtel, whatever that is. So that's the board. That's the board. That's fucking insane. Yeah. So something that we'll hear later on in part two is her claims to this technology being used like in the battlefield and like on HVAC like helicopters and all this stuff and it's fucking crazy and so you know with that claim and looking at her board of trustees no one even thought to question it what do you think the body count is between the whole board of trustees like oh God, how many I don't even want to know I Dude. mean she's got some powerful ass people on there like Henry Kissinger like he oversaw lots of shady ass shit yeah. So that was her board of trustees. And now we're going to hear about her kind of like biggest influence, right? Which is what? Well, Elizabeth was an admirer of Apple founder Steve Jobs. and deliberate Obsessor, I would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
and deliberately copied his style, frequently dressing in a black turtleneck sweater as Jobs did. Elizabeth says her mother dressed her in black turtlenecks when she was young, but an employee says she suggested copying Jobs' famous look. So this chick, Anna Ariola, she's the product designer who worked on the iPhone. She told Elizabeth to rip off Steve Jobs' look, right? Yeah. Essentially, that's what we're saying. Yeah. And that was back in 2007. Soon she began. Soon she became the chief design architect. So this is Anna. Yeah. So it's crazy to think too. So if the company started in 2004 and this is 2007, Elizabeth is 22 years old at this point, and she has poached the head designer of Apple to come design her technology. That's crazy, right? Yeah. This whole story is totally crazy. So yeah, she gets Anna to become the chief design architect at Theranos, and she was in charge of making the company's technology look and feel like an Apple product. Anna said it felt like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and left 15,000 shares of Apple behind. As the chief design architect, Ariola said she was responsible for the look and feel of Theranos's breakthrough technology which would come to be called a number of different names, such as TSPU, the Minilab, and the Edison. The Edison device looked like a black rectangular box about the size of a desktop printer with a screen on the front that was meant to process Theranos' tiny blood test samples. It also has the feel of a Tesla, you know, an, oh. an Edison, a Tesla, you know, okay. uh, an <laughs> Einstein you yeah, know, right. or whatever. It's just like a famous scientist's last name. Elizabeth wanted the screen to resemble the iPhone because she wanted everything to look like Apple products and for the casing to look like the original Mac. Oh, it doesn't. <laughs> Quote, when it she... looks like a bad printer. Oh, okay. I'll post a picture. Quote, when she came to me, she didn't have low voice. Oh, what... yeah. <laughs> okay, this, this, we're getting to the voice thing. When I saw her next, she says with this low voice, Hey. <laughs> <laughs> she starts talking with a low voice and to quote, oh my God, it was quite off, Gardner said. So who's Gardner? Phyllis Gardner. So Phyllis Gardner was the first Stanford professor she talked to. So like she gotcha. knew Elizabeth as the 19-year-old starry-eyed scientist right, that was right. going to change the world. And she was like, yeah, you're full of shit. And then when she saw Elizabeth years later, like, Elizabeth is like, oh, hey, how's it going? And Phyllis me. is like, what the fuck? Yeah. So she's one of the few people that was really willing to come forward, like calling her out on her shit, basically. Like Buffalo Bill from- And it from... sucks, too, because Phyllis Gardner <laughs> is this like brilliant scientist who teaches at Stanford and everybody looks up to. And, you know, Elizabeth Holmes was supposed to be this brilliant female entrepreneur scientist who was going to change, you know, the world of medicine. And it sucks because Phyllis Gardner was trying to, like, you know, lift her up. She's like, that's so awesome that a woman wants to do this. But it's like, I can't support it because she's going to fall flat on her fucking face, you know? Yeah. So that's what sucks. It's kind of like a double-edged sword there, you know? Like, she wants to support her, but she also knows she's totally full of shit. It'd be so weird to, like, have one of your old students come back and be like, Oh, hey, hey how's it going? How's that it was going? a chick. Right. That was a chick, you know? Yeah. I, if it was a dude, I mean, that happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially from freshman year to senior year. So, Anna Ariola, the designer, she would often arrive to work early and cross paths with Elizabeth. And she also started to notice 
uh, Elizabeth starting to behave differently. Quote, I just remember that she had a unique private sense. She was rocking and slamming her head to hip-hop music, just fully rocking out one morning. And I was like, huh? Okay, I didn't think I was meant to see that. So, like, Anna yeah, was saying, Yeah, she was like, like a total, like, college basic bitch, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is fine. She probably listened to, like, but Eminem then, like, or something. But then, she would get out of her car. She's 22 years old. Like, she's supposed to act like that. And then she would get out of her car with her fucking black turtleneck and be like, hello. You know? Like, like she wasn't just, like, listening to, like, Easy e you it know? It was all an act. Yeah. Total act. Ariola wasn't the only former Apple employee that Elizabeth hired. She poached several of her other former... You wrote this really hard. <laughs> she poached several of her other former colleagues, including Justin Maxwell, who joined Ariola's team helping to design the Edison, and engineer Adam Vollmer, and also Mike Bowerly, whose wife had worked with Anna at Apple. Everyone who joined the team was in awe of Elizabeth's vision and potential. Everyone thought they were in the presence of the next Steve Jobs. Powerful people also joined because they truly felt like they could and would change the world if Elizabeth's vision was authentic. It wasn't long before the big hires from Apple and other prestigious companies started to realize that they were designing a technology that didn't really exist. Maxwell recalled learning from other employees that the technology wasn't working and, quote, the science wasn't, quote, matching up. It became clear that without technology, the designers became unnecessary. Quote, we can't actually provide value to this company right now if the foundation isn't working. Maxwell remembered thinking. On top of that, they said Elizabeth arranged the company so that everyone was purposely siloed. Yeah, so they all, like, each branch of the company worked independently and they weren't like allowed to talk amongst themselves what's the word i can't say ever silo carpen car compartment Com compartmentalized <laughs> yeah she pur purposely compartmentalized all the departments yeah and like made them scared to talk to one another the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing so they say yes I don't think she knew what it was doing either. But no, well, no, she, that's, she that's knew being what both too hands nice. were doing. Yeah, she was yeah, and pulling the strings. And that's why she's on trial right now. Yeah. She's claiming that she, did, she didn't know. Big scammeroni. So employees weren't supposed to communicate with each other about their tasks. They were also advised not to reveal the company name on social media sites like LinkedIn. The immense secrecy was apparently to protect what Elizabeth felt were trade secrets. Quote, it went beyond micromanaging. It was like actively kind of trying to foster this competition, Vollmer said. Quote, it was a complete distrust for the organization that she'd built under her. But despite this inner company chaos, Elizabeth dazzled potential investors and board members. It wasn't long before she recruited Avi Tenavian. Avi Tevanian. Thank you. She was once... You could just call him Avi. Okay. <laughs> Avi was once Steve Jobs' right hand yeah. at Apple. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I haven't seen the Ashton Kutcher, Steve Jobs biopic or whatever, but Avi Tavanian is Steve Jobs' right hand man, like literally right alongside of him the whole movie, I guess. And I guess during Steve Jobs' whole life. Okay. I said she, but Avi's a man. Yes. Okay. Avi had led the software team that developed the Mac operating system X. 
So that's another big gun that she's got there. Avi joined the Theranos board of directors in 2006, but quickly became frustrated with what he was seeing. Quote, I think what she didn't expect was that I would actually ask a lot of questions and that if things weren't going as they should be, I would ask tough questions, Avi said in an exclusive interview on the Dropout podcast. Yes, I use the Dropout podcast. I've listened to it twice and it's from ABC News, so it's from a major news source, but it's it is quite a good it is quite a good investigative podcast where I mean most articles cite either the Wall Street Journal or the Dropout podcast as their primary source. When Avi would challenge Elizabeth or ask important questions about the technology or progress of the company, he said that she was very good at deflecting and that her responses were, quote, more of a non-answer or an evasive answer. And while Elizabeth's strength lay in recruiting impressive talent, retaining those employees was a different story. Former employees have described the company as having a revolving door culture when it came to hiring and firing. Quote, Elizabeth did a great job of recruiting amazing people. I would watch those people that I trust disappear. Our office was right next to the general counsel and the head of the business development both of whom were people I had tremendous admiration for. They were extremely sharp and knew the industry very well, and they just vanished, Maxwell said. I think like two weeks after I started, the CFO was just promptly fired or disappeared, and that was disconcerting. That's what Vollmer said. It was something that Ariola noticed as well. Quote, Elizabeth didn't want to hear other people's opinions, Ariola said. She wanted positive results. I think that everyone who told Elizabeth no and disagreed with her perspective and point of view, you were immediately terminated. It was just a very unusual environment. That sounds like a fun place to work. Yeah. <laughs> there was one incident that was particularly troubling to Ariola. Elizabeth had made a deal with a major oh, drug yeah. company to let Theranos test its technology on terminal cancer patients in a study taking place in Tennessee. They were patients who were third and fourth stage oncology cancer patients at the University of Tennessee that had given basically their blood to test this device, Ariola said. We had gotten word from Adam Vollmer, who was our mechanical engineer working on the internal mechanism for the Edison device, that light was seeping in, and with light seeping in, it corrupted the blood telemetry data. It corrupted telemetry? The, it corrupted the blood... Telemetry. Telemetry data. Thank you. You're like reading my mind. <laughs> and this would corrupt the data. It was a very unfortunate situation. Yeah, and I guess... I think a lot of the employees were getting scared. that They were like, damn, we're working with like terminally ill patients like and we're giving them like medical advice and so a lot of people started kind of freaking out during this time but elizabeth holmes was really the only one that held the cards to her chest she knew that they weren't they were just testing to see the accuracy of the machines so right. they weren't I mean, doing anything to treat the cancer patients i think they just took samples from the patients they me, yeah, weren't me like too, treating but them. like there were people that didn't know what the fuck they were because again they were they were so much in the dark about what was going on is that people were freaking out about this study and elizabeth knew the whole time like hey i we know that these people have cancer we're just seeing if like it popped if their cancer pops up in the blood test, basically. So, like, she kind of knew that it wasn't... I mean, obviously, it was unethical to basically waste these patients' blood because the devices didn't work. Well, th 
But well, like Elizabeth well, was truly the only one I think that knew that the study wasn't harming the people in any way. But I don't think the employees all knew that. And so they were kind of freaking out. Well, according to Elizabeth, you would just need a tiny little exactly. pick of blood. And you can. Yeah. So, I mean, sure, it didn't affect these cancer patients that much. I hope not, at least. Ballmer said, quote, it seemed like we were a very long way away from having a working product. Our going into the study felt utterly premature relative to where we were at. We weren't generating reliable, reproducible data. So he knew that going into this first thing is just like yeah, pointless. Yeah. They're just wasting these cancer patients' blood. And basically. everyone's time. And everybody's yeah. time, yeah. Making it look like they were doing real research to legitimize the company. It's, that's like, what's fucked up about this whole it. story like just makes me think of our government right now it's just okay i mean i don't want to go there and i won't but like everything is just a shit show everywhere you look i mean that's most of everything yeah it doesn't i i i don't does it have to be that way i don't, I, think, I don't so. think so i don't think so anyways back to the story obviously some things have to work yeah i don't think anything is except for like you know the turd rolling down hills getting bigger and bigger okay Anyways, these employees didn't know the test results wouldn't impact the actual treatments given to these cancer patients like we just kind of talked about. Yeah, so that's what they were freaking out. But Elizabeth knew that they were just doing it for accuracy purpose. Right. Elizabeth kept that detail for most of the Theranos employees. They hated making such vulnerable, vulnerable people guinea pigs, which I don't think they really were doing. No, but the employees didn't know that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're saving these people. Actually, we're not doing anything. We're just we're just seeing if like this machine works at all, which apparently it yeah. does not. We're testing this little tube for leaks, and it's leaking bad. Volmer says that raising concerns internally was not tolerated. Yeah. Quote, that sort of feedback just went generally ignored, he said. After enough cycles of that, it just felt like there were people, like myself and others, who disagreed with a lot of these decisions and were just being overlooked again and again. Ariola decided she would confront Elizabeth about these issues. So Ariola says, she basically conveyed to me that I should not intervene, that this is an incredibly critical juncture in the company's current fundraising. And I was like, that's unacceptable from an ethical perspective. I just can't stomach it. She gave me an ultimatum, suppress it and continue on business as usual, or I said I was resigning. So that's kind of a weird quote, but, uh, Ariola decides to resign. Yeah, she said that she slid her resignation letter underneath the office door of, of the head of HR and left. She remembers Elizabeth frantically calling her and Anna letting the calls go to voicemail because she just didn't want to fucking talk to her. I just literally had nothing I wanted to do with that company anymore, Ariola said. Maxwell wrote a resignation letter as well, saying, I wish I could say things better, but I think you know exactly what is going on at Theranos. Lying is a disgusting habit, and it flows through conversations here like its own currency. But I really, truly believe you know it already, and for some reason, I can't figure out why you allow it to continue. So those were two major players that resigned, and this is what, like, year, this is like 2008 or something? The company won't go under for, like, another almost decade. It's crazy so how it's long like they these keep this people, going. Yeah. They kind of saw the writing on the wall ye like a year into trying to be there, a couple years after its startup. 
And I remember like hearing interviews from these people basically saying that they would set Google alerts to be Theranos scam or like, you know, just watching the news, just waiting to see Elizabeth Holmes's mugshot, basically, because they're like, what this bitch is doing is like fucking illegal. You know, like it's only a matter of time before she gets caught and she won't get caught for like another nine years at this point. It's crazy how long she kept this going. Yeah. And what's crazy, too, is that. And we can talk about this later, but did she believe she knew the technology wasn't there, period. I think that I think that there's two ways to think about it. One, she knew the technology wasn't there, but she thought that it would be by the time she had to basically pay back investors or have something happen with the company. Like she thought she could get there. Or the other thing is did she know all along it was never going to be possible and she just wanted the money? So that's basically why she's on trial right now. It's like, did she think, was she so ignorant or was she so hopeful that she hoped that the technology could catch up with her vision? You know what I mean? She was such a powerful chaos magician that she could just, just will make, it into, into in, in exist. Yeah. I don't know. So that's, I mean, that's going to be the big question. So Avi Tavanian ran into some the same problems with trust. He said promises that Elizabeth made weren't being fulfilled and am- information wasn't adding up. Avi Tavanian also said the tac- technology wasn't improving. He said, all of these promises, none of them have happened. All these people involved, they're all gone and nothing even lined up. Tavanian resigned from the board shortly after that meeting. I was done with Theranos, he said. I had seen so many things that were so bad go on. I would never expect anyone would behave the way that she behaved as a CEO. And believe me, I worked for Steve Jobs. I've seen some crazy things. But Elizabeth took it to a whole new level. It's like, instead of being Steve Jobs, she's more like Bill Gates. (laughs) Okay. Because Bill Gates totally like stabbed him in the back, you know? Steve Jobs? Yeah. When he was like on his deathbed, like having cancer, Uh like totally fucking ripped him off. It's fucking Bill Gates is a fraud. His whole fucking Microsoft. <laughs> he's also a genius. No, he's not. You don't think he's a genius? No, he was born in the money. His mom set him up with the fucking people from uh, IBM that gave him the money to start fucking So he's kind of like Donald Trump. Okay. And he, no, he's not. He's like. Trump had some startup money. Oh, okay. I, that's, that's where I was comparing it to. Yeah, he's a rich guy. And uh, everyone thinks he's this genius, but he just ripped everything off. He's a bit of a fucking psycho. In a, right. in a t- nice little turtleneck. Uh, I don't think Bill Gates wears turtlenecks. He's more of like a sweater vest kind of a guy. Same thing to me. Okay. Back to our story. From its initial startup in 2009, there were some hirings, firings, and ambiguity. Some, <laughs> some people equated it to a South American dictatorship or drug cartel. And we're talking about how the company's being run, I assume. Others were diehard Theranos-ians, and they would stay to the bitter end. Needing a second round of investors to keep the company afloat, in September 2009, Ramesh Sunny Balwani joined Theranos as Elizabeth's right-hand man. He invested a cool $13 million pretty much right away. Sunny said, quote, The company was low on cash, and I knew of the mission and that what the company was trying to do was paramount 
and I offered to help the company and ended up giving them a $13 million personal loan. It was interest-free. It was a good faith loan. Six months later, in late 2009, Senny was made chief operating officer and president of the company, in spite of the fact that he didn't have experience in science or lab testing. Elizabeth focused on big picture vision while it was Sonny's job to manage the employees and business partners. <laughs> it's kind of funny. One former employee said that he earned the nickname the enforcer due to his intimidating management style. Quote, the atmosphere. Isn't the that Abner's nickname in 60 Days In, the season no, we're that, watching? No, it's not his nickname. That's his position. Oh, the enforcer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 60 Days In. That's our little that's a weird eye show. crack right now. Quote, the atmosphere of the place became caustic, said former Theranos Vice President Anthony Nugent. Nugent? Like Ted Nugent? Like Ted Nugent, yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> he said that to, uh, to a Bloomberg in an interview. Uh, Elizabeth and Sonny met in 2002 when she was about 18 years old and when he was 37. They were both in China studying at Beijing University as part of a Stanford program. By all accounts, she seemed to be partnerless during this time, potentially keeping her relationship as the head and founder of the company secret. But Elizabeth and Sonny had a long-term romantic relationship, Elizabeth says in a, in a testimony obtained by the Dropout podcast. She admits that they kept the relationship from investors, and despite sharing a residence four miles from Theranos headquarters, many of the employees were unaware that they were involved. Like Elizabeth, Sonny had his own kind of uniform, a white button-down shirt, jeans, and, and expensive loafers. <laughs> he always smelled of cologne and became known for his flashy tastes, former employees recount on the Dropout podcast. He drove two cars, both with vanity plates. A black Lamborghini with... Vidi Vici. Thank you. It's like V-D-I-V-C-I. Vidi Vici. Veni Vidi Vici. Veni, oh, V-N-I-V-D-I-V-C-I. Yeah, it's a reference to Julius Caesar's I came, I saw, I conquered. Vini Vidi Vici. <laughs> which, you know, comparing yourself to Julius Caesar, uh, not a good thing. Because what happens to Julius Caesar? <laughs> only he good. gets killed by his own people. Yep. Maybe what that's a, a prick. Maybe that's some foreshadowing. Yeah. Oh, he. Uh, so the next one's good too. So he had a Porsche 911, and the vanity plate on that one said, "Daz, Daz, Das Capital." Capital. Yeah. But yeah, D A Z Capital. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's cause the so it's paying plate. homage to Karl Marx's anti-capitalist manifesto, Das Cap Capital. Das Capital. Das. <laughs> so yeah, this uh, white button-up shirt. Loafer wearing motherfucker is uh he looks nice he smells and nice I believe but he's, he's a cunt I believe he's Pakistani grew up in India I'm I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong but he his he his family is in India Elizabeth admitted to the SEC that although he did have the money to keep the company afloat for the time being he did not have any qualifications at all he was just a rich dude that she was banging. To say he was intense and intimidating would be an understatement. Another anecdote from Michael Craig, a senior software engineer, said he had a set of samurai swords in his office for a long time. And I finally was like, so what's up with your interest in those swords? You know, I'm pretty interested in a lot of that stuff. And he basically said, no, it was just a thing. I was like, whoa, 
There's not even a story there. That's just some object you put there. Like, Don't you know I'm was, Julius Caesar? It was just to look intimidating. He's like, oh, I just like to have weapons in my office. There's like, it's not like, oh, I'm really into samurais or something like that. You know, it's just like, no, I just want to terrify people when they walk into my office, basically. Okay. So we have set the stage with Elizabeth's upbringing, starting Theranos, who her backers are, you know, investors, her board of trustees, all of that stuff, right? She has poached all these people from Apple who saw the writing on the wall pretty early on were like, fuck you, Elizabeth, and they were out, right? And she just keeps hiring more people. So it's kind of just business as weirdly usual at this point and still trying to make herself look successful and like her company is progressing, right? And it's still fairly secretive at this point. It's like this open secret in the, in the Silicon Valley that there's this big thing and it's very mysterious and nobody knows what's going on, which, I mean, that's part of how you build like mystique and, you know, making it seem like it's this exclusive thing. So at a certain point, Theranos has to continue to get investors. They have to... to continue to get you know capital interest right to keep going so it's like they had all the initial investment from the DeVos family the Walmart family Rupert Murdoch like 600 million dollars but obviously she has to pay her billion employees that she has at a certain point Theranos had 800 employees like this is a fucking huge company and they're not just like and it's minimum wage workers they're like they're engineers people from apple and shit yeah like they're at least they're pulling at least six figures the money dries up after a while so sunny comes in with his 13 million dollar check right and but that's not enough that could keep the company afloat for maybe a A couple weeks yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly so she's gonna have to start impressing someone to keep the bankroll going so she starts talking to walgreens which let's talk about that So in 2010, Walgreens was interested in adding blood draw capabilities to its pharmacies. With over 9,800 stores countrywide, it would be a game changer for people who couldn't or didn't want to trek to a hospital or their doctor's office. Additionally, it could mean more revenue for the gargantuan chain. As of August 2020, approximately 78% of the U.S. population lives within five miles of a Walgreens. I actually got that straight from their website. It's almost like a spider is always like 10 feet from you. Yeah. So it's just like Walgreens is always just right there. Walgreens executives teamed up in 2010 with Theranos after hearing a pitch from Elizabeth and Sonny. They said that they absolutely had the technology and allowed it to complete diagnostic testing by collecting just a finger prick of blood. We totally have the technology. We, we Trust us. We swear to God. It's so great. That, that's okay. I'm, that's my Trump. Uh, <laughs> it's the best technology there's ever been. Magnet. It's beautiful technology. Covife. <laughs> the two companies began rolling out Theranos wellness centers inside of Walgreens stores in Arizona in 2013. I also think there were some in Northern California as well. But like they just straight up, they were like, okay, well, see, that's the thing. Walgreens is like a multi-billion dollar corporation. They were like, yeah, if we're going to invest X amount of dollars in Theranos, we're going to start building our flagship Theranos stores, basically. And well, so yeah. there were over 40 locations in Arizona and California that actually had Theranos labs in them. Yeah, you need to, you need to have yeah. all that like infrastructure in place before the big rollout, right? Yeah. So. So Walgreens invested about $140 million into Theranos. So they cut her this check. So now she's in the money again for a little bit. 
Similarly, a budding $350 million partnership was also forming with Safeway in and around this time in 2011. However, and this one's way more secretive. I'd never heard about it in the Dropout podcast or much of my research. Safeway, I think when they kind of realized when shit wasn't going right, they dissolved that partnership pretty early on and they were like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Walgreens stayed on and they were like fairly vocal about their relationship. Sounds with like Theranos. they already put enough money into it to be like, so we what need the fuck? to see results. Yeah. Exactly. So they had a $350 partnership with Safeway. Af- however, after an initial phase of the partnership, some people started raising some eyebrows with, you know, among the Safeway executives. Safeway had Theranos carry out blood testing at a clinic in Pleasanton, California, you know, to test it out. <laughs> and like hearing about all the times that they would test out this, you know, Theranos technology, it was always like, like, okay, just a finger prick of blood, except for this one time we're going to do a vial and it's yeah. not going to be automatic. We'll have your results like next week yeah. and we need, we're going like, to run it gallon. on third party machines. So there's this blood testing clinic in Pleasanton, California that the Safeway executives were like, okay, let's try it. Theranos often drew the same employee's blood twice, first with a finger prick and then with the needle in the arm method, getting a whole vial's worth. Some employees got varying test results, including one executive who got a high result that suggested that he had prostate cancer. When the result was sent for retesting by another lab, the result came back normal. So they were like, yeah, this sucks. Neither Safeway nor Theranos has ever revealed their project dubbed T-Rex to the public, but it had started building some lab testing centers in about 800 locations. I think they were a little less obvious than the Walgreens locations. I think that they were just general lab testing places. They didn't actually say like Theranos on them. It went the same way as the (laughs) T-Rex. Yeah. In the end, the testing never started. Theranos missed deadlines for its blood testing rollout, and the clinics are now used mostly for flu shots and travel-related vaccines, current and former Safeway execs told the Wall Street Journal. In the fall of 2011, Tyler Schultz, the grandson of former U.S. Secretary of State George Schultz, met Elizabeth for the first time. He was a junior at Stanford at the time and met her in his grandfather's living room. He did an internship there and was ready to work for Theranos upon his graduation. Also around this time, Erica Chung, a starry-eyed 22-year-old UC Berkeley chemist and biologist, was recruited into Theranos. Both of these bright and young people, about six years Elizabeth's junior, would begin the unraveling of the medtech unicorn and be dubbed the whistleblowers. That's where we're going to pick up next week when we finish talking about the rise and fall of theranos and where the trial stands today so what do y'all think what do you think i mean i've already kind of peppered my thoughts throughout the podcast but i think she thought the technology would catch up with her vision but i think at a certain point she knew that it wouldn't and she was just enjoying the money coming in and just didn't give a fuck anymore I think I think that there was a change somewhere. I don't exactly know where that change came. Maybe it was with the like Safeway deal falling through because was, that was a big fucking deal. Maybe you know? it was with not the first like teachers and stuff telling her that you know that's not going to work, not going to work, not going to work, and then her employees being like it's not going to work, not going to work, and then um, 
at that point, the lie is gone too. He like you, yeah, he's got exactly. a panel of fucking war but criminals. Like, what's, but what's the <laughs> end game? You know what I mean? Like if 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 she's really perpetuating this lie and she knows that it's a lie, what's the end game? It's it's like Heaven's Gate, you know? Like I think they they met their uh, they I think they're on the comet as we speak. But I'm just they're saying, like, like at a certain place. point, like he's straying along. If you didn't know, Heaven's Gate was around for like over 25 years, and it was just like. What was his name? Applebottom? Um, Apple, Applegate? Apple? It was... Marshall um, Applewhite. <laughs> was that? No, it was Marshall Applewhite. Johnny Appleseed? Yeah. <laughs> but like Marshall Applewhite like kept stringing everyone along, kept stringing everyone along, kept stringing everyone along. And eventually everyone's fucking old and like ready to die. And he yeah. was like... Well, it's time. Like, because he was just like, well, I'm out of options. Like, I keep telling them these things are going to happen and then they're not happening. So fuck it. Let's go. I wonder if she was just going to have like a mass suicide at the company or something. Like, I don't fucking know. Theranos almost feels like a cult at this point. Oh, totally. I, yeah. I, I think that she was like. She was basically a cult leader. Totally. And she knew what she was spewing was bullshit at a certain point. And was like hoping that they would all crash and burn together. I don't know. I can't. I'm not a crazy person, so I can't <laughs> possibly try to imagine. Yeah, like, put your mind there. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even lie to you about walking the dogs. So like, like, <laughs> <laughs> like this is out of my 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 Real league house. here. Yeah. yeah. Something else we'll you know discuss too, because obviously it's not even a spoiler alert if you kind of know what's going on. So Sunny Balwani and Elizabeth Holmes, there they were going to be tried together, but they had their cases separated. So Elizabeth Holmes is having her case right now, and Sunny Balwani's his is supposed to start like January of next year, and that's kind of shitty because they're they're gonna talk mass shit on him in her trial and then his trial will start i hope his it's trial sketchy. is like trial by combat like in game of thrones <laughs> and then we'll also be examining that relationship a lot in part two but he admittedly didn't know shit about fuck you know what i mean <laughs> wow <laughs> i mean he didn't know anything and so it's like she is going to blame it she is blaming it all on him of course but like he didn't have the vision he just had the money and he just wanted to bang her. You know what I mean? So it's like, it'll I think be really that is interesting. Money to see. not well spent. He gave her a check for $13 million. He wouldn't have done that if he didn't think that like she was telling the truth. So I think that he's going to get the ass end of the deal and he's probably going to end up doing some time. But I think, just based on the very little that I know, I think he's fairly innocent. Uh, he be. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. He, he Judging was by his uh, license plates, I'm going to say this guy's a cunt and probably not innocent <laughs> of anything. Yeah. We'll see. So. Vini Vidi Vici. <laughs> excuse you. <laughs> so we're going to pick this up next week. And until then, you could join our true crime podcast. You could join our true crime dumpster Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, and many other platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get to a larger audience. So tune in next time as we continue talking out the trash. Bye-bye. Bye.